Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Also, the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post to the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. So I want to talk to you today on this subject, defined by the altar. Amen. Defined by the altar. And everybody shout, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We're introduced to this vision that Isaiah had of the glory of God in verse number one with a time stamp, and that being that it was in the year that King Uzziah died. It was a time of crisis in Isaiah, the prophet's life, but it was also a time of crisis in the lives of all of Israel because one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever had had passed from this scene. And the Bible said that when he died, there's a particular manner in which Isaiah states the following. He said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So what we note here is that in the time of the crisis, in the time of the loss, in the time of death, that Isaiah said, I saw something besides the loss. I saw something besides the death. I saw something beside the sorrow. He said, I saw also the Lord. Amen. And I am convinced today that if you and I in our life as we go through crisis and as we go through times of trouble and problems that it is important that we see something beside our problem. Amen. We see something beside our circumstance. We need to see the Lord. Amen. We need to get a good view of our God and understand how great he is, how powerful he is, and that in seeing him we will understand 
that he's greater than the crisis. And he's greater than the storm. He's greater than the sorrow. He's greater than the loss. I'm glad that's the kind of God that we serve here today in this house. Amen. I saw also the Lord. Oftentimes we make the statement that when we're going through a trial or we're going through a test, that God is trying to show us something about ourselves that we have not seen before. And while I believe that even as we are going to deal with in Scripture here today, I believe that to be so, I do believe that the first thing God wants you to see, even before you see yourself, even before you see your failure, your shortcomings, He wants you to see Him in a light that maybe you have never seen Him before. Because if you see your problem before you see Him, you're really going to struggle. But if you see the Lord in the midst of your problem, you get a good view of him. It's going to change how you deal with your crisis. Lord, I feel Holy Ghost in the house again this morning. Somebody clap your hands and give him praise. Amen. If you see him, amen, in the middle of everything, then it changes your perspective. I am convinced that if we see ourselves even before we see him, we're always going to struggle with ourselves. But if we see him, we're going to realize that our help is in him. Our change is in him. Amen. The needs that we have that need to be met are going to be met in him. We can't do this by ourselves. We can't accomplish this on our own. We've got to have the help of our God as we live for him, as we walk with him. And as we deal with our everyday circumstances. Hallelujah. Well, glory to God. Amen. Isaiah saw him sitting on a throne high and lifted up and his train. But he didn't just see that. He said, I saw seraphims and each one had six wings. With twain uh, he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain uh, he did fly three postures that a worshiper always has before the Lord because that's what these seraphims were they were worshipers in the presence of God and they took three postures in that presence number one they shielded their face representing a a spirit of humility in the presence of God with twain two of their wings they covered their face because they understood we're not worthy to stand in his presence we're not worthy to be in the very presence of almighty God and they shielded their face I always want to approach God with the spirit of humility the scripture says humble yourselves therefore in the sight of God and he will exalt you casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you thank God that we can stand in his presence but it must be with a spirit of humility oh hallelujah amen the second posture was that they took two of their wings and they covered their feet representing the fact that you cannot walk this walk by yourself. I don't have the ability 
within myself. I don't have the power within myself. So I'm covering my feet in the presence of God to say to him, Lord, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your guidance. I need your direction. I need the power of God to help me walk this walk. I'm going to tell you, church, I can't do this by myself. I can't live this life all alone. It's not by might, and neither is it by power, but it is by the Spirit of our God. Amen. That third posture was, and with Twain, he did fly. Because I'm convinced that if you approach God with a spirit of humility and you approach him with a spirit of dependence upon him, if you are shielding your face and you're shielding your feet, then you have the opportunity to soar in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Arrogance gets no place with God. Pride gets no place with God. But humility will help you fly. Dependence on the Lord will help you fly. And my desire today is not just to walk in this world through life on a normal plane, but it's to find a place spiritually to climb to the heights, to enter into the presence of God, to enjoy the presence of the Lord and to fly in the spirit. Anybody feel that way here today? Amen, amen. And so what a marvelous miracle and great supernatural experience that Isaiah had when he heard the voices crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He saw the post uh, being moved at the voice of him that cried. He saw the house being filled with smoke. And in the midst of all of this glory, in the midst of the presence of the eternal God, the scripture said uh, that he declared these words, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. And so what you have here is Isaiah in the presence of God. You have Isaiah observing the holiness of God. Isaiah hearing the holiness of God being declared in worship. And then suddenly he sees himself. He sees his lack. He sees his shortcomings. It was in the presence of God that he saw himself. I believe that we live in a time where that there are many people who do not want to be in the presence of God because it's there that they see themselves. But I want to submit to you today and I trust by the time I am finished with this message that you will understand there is no better place to be than in the presence of God. There is no better place to be than in the very throne room of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you today, don't run from it. Run to it. 
Don't stay out of church. Run to church. Don't stay out of the prayer room. Run to a prayer room. Hallelujah. Amen. I want you to notice something about Isaiah's words. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And so what it appears here is that Isaiah had accepted and adopted the condition of everybody else around him. He had allowed the people that were around him to define his own spiritual state. He allowed that which he lived among to define who he was. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Can I say to you here today that there is an inherent danger when we allow other people to define who we are and subsequently our walk with God. Amen. There's a danger in that. There is, there is, a, there is a, a, an unfortunate thing happening in our life. When we look around us and realize everybody else is doing it, so I guess I'll do it also. This is the direction the world is going, and so I guess I'll go that direction also. I stand today before you and declare that I refuse to let everybody around me define who I am. My world is not going to define me. My environment is not going to define me. Somebody shout praise the Lord. I know it's a simple illustration. And I understand that. But hear me today. In this house right now, we are in a wonderful atmosphere. You walk outside this building and the heat hits you right in the face. The temperature on the outside is much different than the temperature on the inside. And there's a reason for that. Because on the walls of this sanctuary, there are some controls that are called thermostats. And they're there for a purpose. They're there, they're there so that the temperature inside this place is not the same temperature as outside this place. We live in a world where there's too many people that are thermometers. All they're doing is reflecting the temperature of the environment around them. Oh, hallelujah. That's the only thing they're doing. I refuse to be a thermometer that does nothing more than reflect the world I am in. But by the help and grace of God, I'm going to have a thermostat in my life. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost is a thermostat in your heart. The Holy Ghost will regulate who you are. It will regulate what you are. The spirit of the age is not going to define me. The temperature on the outside is not going to define me. I'm going to get in the presence of God. I'm going to get in the atmosphere of God's spirit and let the Holy Ghost make the difference. Somebody shout amen. 
Your culture can define you. You know, I travel this country, and and there is a, in so many places, you know, we talk about uh, international culture, and I, and I do a, a good deal of international travel. I've been in the continent of Africa, I've been in Southeast Asia, I've been in South America, Central America, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and, and I'm just telling you that to say that in many, many places, the culture of that area is so different. Uh, we were in Paris one year, my wife and I, and, and uh, the culture there is so different. Uh, I, I, made, I, made, uh, I made two trips uh, to Paris, my first and my last one, and I did it all on the same trip. Amen. Because the Parisians are some of the most arrogant, egotistical people and, and less helpful of anybody I've been to anywhere in the world. My wife and I wanted to know what was going on, and we asked a police officer. We said, what, what's, what's happening? And he looked at us and said, what, what, what's the matter with you? He said, you can't speak French. He said, uh, what's, what's your problem? And he turned and walked away and wouldn't even answer our question. I wanted to say, hey, buddy, come back here just a minute. If it hadn't been for us Americans, you'd be speaking German today. But I didn't. I was nice. And unfortunately, another policeman came over, which obviously, amen, was a, a policeman, but he wasn't from Paris, amen, and he was a lot nicer, and, and he answered our question. The point is, I've been in so many cultures, and people's culture defines them. I was born in Florida. I came from the southeast of this country, and the culture that I was raised in was a very racially oriented culture. There was a lot of folks that believed. I'm just going to preach what I feel here today. Amen. I feel like I got my liberty right now, so I'm just going to go ahead and preach it anyhow. But there were a lot of people that believed that the church was made up of just southern white folks. And that's the only kind of people that really made up the church. I grew up and began to realize by the word of God that his kingdom is not just made up of southern white people. But they're made up of brown and yellow and white. Hallelujah. They're made up of Asian. They're made up of African. They're made up, amen, of Australian. They're made up. I need a witness in the house. I said, I need a witness in the house. Hallelujah. And I decided a long time ago at a very early age, my culture's not going to define me. My culture's not going to form my thoughts about who other people are and what they are. I made my mind up. It didn't matter who they were. Red, yellow, black, white. They are precious in this sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Come on now, because I decided nobody's going to define how I think about people. They're not going to define how I think about other people. I'm going to get my definition from the Word of God. I'm going to find out that Jesus said, Whosoever will, let him come. He said, oh my. Jesus said, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. He didn't say they that are white or they that are brown. He said, if you hunger and thirst, the only requirement is you got to be hungry. You got to be thirsty.
He didn't say rich or poor. He didn't say high society or low society. Amen. The Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost said, when he talked about the Holy Ghost, he made a statement. He said, this is that. That was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Notice what he said. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And upon my servants and my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit. He identified three classes of people that could have the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. He said that it would be your sons and your daughters. So female and male. The Holy Ghost is for you. He said, old men and young men, stating very explicitly that this is for the young and this is for the old. And then the third thing he said, upon my servants and upon my handmaidens. He is saying it doesn't matter what your social status is. It doesn't matter if you're the king on the throne or you're the pauper in the back alley. The Holy Ghost is for you. It doesn't matter. Hey, hallelujah. If you don't like what I'm preaching right now, I'm going to tell you what your problem is. You've let somebody else define how you think. You've let somebody else to determine how you feel about souls. You've let somebody else to... Come on, I need a help. I need a little bit of help here today. If you're struggling with what this preacher's preaching right now, then you've let somebody else decide for you who can be saved and who can't be saved. You've let another, oh, glory to God. You've not gone to the book. You've not read what Jesus said. You've not understood that when he died, he died for the sins of the entire world. Oh, glory to God. Huh? Amen. Our problem is we let other folks define us. We let, other, we let other people define who we think can be saved. I'm not going by other folks' definition. I'm going by Jesus Christ's definition. Don't forget, he's the one that shed his blood. Don't forget, he's the one that took the stripes upon his back. Don't forget that he was the one that hung on the cross. You didn't die for him. He died for him. You didn't suffer for him. He suffered for him. And he's the one that said, I'm doing this for the sins of the entire world. And we better be happy he did. Because it wouldn't matter what color you were. If it hadn't been for everybody, you wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it. Amen. Should we let our culture sometimes define who we are? We let our, our, our thinking, we let it mold what we believe. We can let our environment define us. Amen. The, the neighborhood we live in. We got young people growing up in neighborhoods that are rife with gangs. And they're allowing the gangs to define them. Amen. This is the world we live in. 
This is the times that we live in. And it's not happening just in Texas and Arizona and New York and, and California. It's happening everywhere. In small town USA, there's a lot of stuff going on that would probably shock some of us if we knew about it. If we really understood what was going on. But it's because that people's environment. We have children that are being defined by alcoholic parents. We have children being defined by drug addicts for parents. Lord, I feel Holy Ghost in this house. I feel some liberty in this place today. We got stuff going on because, let me tell you, you're not going to find your real true definition in that life. That's not where your defining ought to come from. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you, some folks are defined by Hollywood. And they're defined by the fashion world of London and Paris and Los Angeles and a few other places in the world. It's defining who they are. It's defining how they dress. It's defining how they feel and believe about holiness and separation. I got news for you, friend. You're not going to define who I am. And you've never known one thing about God. And you've never, you've never one time... You don't know about his holiness. Don't don't come to me and tell me that's not important and that's not important if you never read the book. If you never studied the word of God. If you oh glory 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 hallelujah. Woo, hallelujah. The world's not going to tell me how to dress. My unsaved family's not going to tell me how to dress. My unsaved family's not going to tell me how to live for God. Huh? Amen. Look, I got unsaved family. I, I mean, I, I've had to deal with this all the way back from the time I first started preaching when I was 16 years old. And I started out as an evangelist. I wouldn't recommend that for every young man, but that was my life. And I had, uh, I had the, the uh, support. And, and the encouragement of my pastor to do exactly what God called me to do. I was traveling as an evangelist at 16 years old. I had an uncle that was high up in, uh, in the uh, U.S. Geological uh, Survey Company or, or, or part of the, the, the government. And, and he had a very high position, a very well-paid position. He, he found out that I was preaching a revival not very far from where he was working. And so he drove uh, several hours to get to where I was. Came to service that night and after church kept me up till about 2 o'clock in the morning trying to convince me to go back home and, and, and do this and do that and do the other. I think his efforts were noble and I think that he was honest in his feelings uh, but his problem was uh, he didn't know the will of God. He didn't understand the plan of God. Amen. I went to bed that night and when I got up the next morning I never had a second thought about what he said and here I am almost 50 years later and I still feel the same way amen uncle you didn't define my relationship with God amen and I don't regret it I'm glad to be where I am I'm happy to be doing the will of God I'm trying to help somebody here today quit looking at the world around you and let the world around you define who you are. Amen. I don't buy fashion magazines to figure out what the latest fashion is. Oh, glory to God. Amen. I don't go to Hollywood looking for what my next hairdo ought to be. Woo! 
Oh, preach on with the bass. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't go to them to find out whether or not. Oh, help me, Jesus. Right now, I'm about to get in trouble. I am about to get in trouble right now. Hallelujah. I don't go looking at their magazines to figure whether or not, amen, and get in a mirror and, and, and go to the store and, and try on a pair of them pistol-legged, that's what we used to call them when I was growing up. Y'all think that's new. It ain't nothing new. We had it when I was 17, 18 years old. Hey, come on, preacher, preach. You're doing all right. Just keep it up. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I don't go looking for that because you know what? I decided a long time ago that the best thing a man or a woman can do is strike a balance in their life, establish a good Holy Ghost standard of living and live by it. Forget about what the world is doing. Forget about what everybody's saying. Oh, hallelujah. The one to listen to is the man preaching the word of God. Your pastor. Hear your pastor. Listen to your pastor. Let your pastor help you get defined by the word of God. You heard me Wednesday night. We want to get framed by the word. We want to get molded by the word. We want to get directed by the word. Amen. Our upbringing can define us. Kids way of thinking is defined oftentimes by how the parents think. Huh? Amen. I've watched it. I've watched it so many times. I'm not saying this is wholesale. I'm not saying it's a blanket policy. But I've watched it so many times. Amen. Parents that are critical of the church and critical of the pastor generally have raised children that are critical of everything. Lord, have mercy. This is not in my notes. Most of what I've said so far is not in my notes. I'm just doing what I feel in the Holy Ghost right now. I hope that's what you want in a preacher. I hope that's what you want in a man of God. It's to obey the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm going to tell you, and I don't mean this boastfully, but when we were raising our children, we didn't have saints for lunch and saints for breakfast and saints for supper. We didn't talk about problems in the church. You know why? I didn't want to raise my kids with people, with children that had biases against everybody in the church. I knew they'd grow up one day. They'd find out there was a few devils sitting on the pew, but they were going to find out for themselves. I wasn't going to tell them which ones they were. Amen. We didn't talk about preachers around our table. We didn't discuss it in open conversation with our children. And in fact, if I had visitors and they wanted to do it, I would steer the, the, the conversation away. And if they persisted, I was bold enough to look at them and say, hold on just a minute. We don't talk about that at my dinner table. We, there are just certain subjects that's off limits. Because I wanted my children growing up believing in the ministry, believing in the church, because that's the only two things that's going to save them. It's the church. It's the church. It's the church. And it's the ministry. The preaching of the word. I can't hear you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
And thank God my son's a preacher and a pastor today. My daughter's a, the wife of a pastor. My other daughter's the wife of another preacher. My daughters grew up wanting to marry, marry preachers. I don't say that boastfully, but I'm just telling you that, that while I'm telling you it's not absolute and it's not 100%, it's just the fact that you, you raise the possibility that your children are going to live for God based on how you think about the church and how you think about the ministry. I understand every child has the ability to choose. And sometimes they choose wrong. Sometimes they make bad decisions. Oh, glory to God. Help me, Jesus. Sometimes those things happen. Amen. It's because everybody has free choice. doesn't matter who it is. Saints' kids, preachers' kids. It doesn't matter who it is. They all have free choice. Amen. But the one thing that will bring them all back, amen, is how you thought about the church and how you thought about the ministry. They may have made a bad choice and went the wrong way, but give them some time. I said give them some time. I've watched it happen. You hear this preacher? I've watched it happen. Something get a hold of them. Their heart get under conviction and they realize it's like the prodigal son who whenever he thought about the father's house, when he thought about the father's house he didn't have bad feelings about the father's house I said he didn't have bad feelings about the father's house he said I know what's in the father's house there's bread enough and to spare I gotta move on I'll never get done here today amen someone said old preachers never die they just lose their text and wonder (laughs) <laughs> Hallelujah. So far, I think I'm, on, I'm on still on text. Amen. Not on texting. I'm on text. <laughs> and the truth is that if we're not careful, we let everybody define who we are and what we are. Amen. You've got to make a decision. I'm not getting defined by everybody else. Second thing I want you to realize is that if we're not careful after Others try to define us. You have an adversary that's going to try to define you. Sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also. When he showed up, God said, where you been? He said, I've been going to and fro and up and down in the whole earth. He said, well, and somebody asked me recently, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm not, not really sure what I'm doing. Did I tell you all this already? I forget sometimes. I'm 65. I forget stuff. But you know what I found out? After you turn 60 or 65, you can repeat yourself. And people, (laughs) huh? People kind of say, (laughs) we've heard that before, but laugh anyway, all right? (laughs) Somebody asked me, what are you doing? I said, I don't have a clue. I'm just out here doing it. (laughs) And, And I said, I do know this. I said, when... When the sons of God came and Satan said, and the Lord said, where you been? He said, I've been going to and fro and up and down on the whole earth. And like, well, that's kind of how I feel. And I've been, I've been, I think this is a 136 church I preached in uh, in the past six years. I'm talking about different pulpits, different churches. Some of them I've been back to two and three times all over the country. I've been, I've been in Southeast Asia, been in Africa, been in different places preaching, been, been in South America and Brazil. And I said, you know, I said, that's just kind of how I feel. I've been going to and fro and up and down in the whole earth. I said, I feel like I've been working like the devil for the Lord. <laughs> Amen. He said, 
Hallelujah. Some of y'all get that about midnight tonight. <laughs> Amen. That's kind of how I feel. So Satan came also and he said, the Lord said, where have you been? He said, well, I've been doing all this. He said, what, have you considered my servant Job? None like him. He's a perfect man. He eschews evil. He gives alms. He does all these things. And Satan said, yeah, Lord. He said, I know what you think about him. I know what your definition of Job is, but I know something about Job that you don't know. And what you don't know is you built a hedge about him. And the only reason why that Job serves you is because of your blessings and because of what you've done for him. That's the reason Job serves you. And the Lord said, okay, he said, we'll find out whether or not your definition is right or my definition is right. And so Satan, he said, you can do everything, but you can't touch the man. Take everything he's got, but leave the man alone. And so he went out. He, he took his cattle. He took his flocks, his herds, all of his children. And, 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 and Job didn't curse God to his face. I'm trying to tell us here today that there's an enemy of our soul that lurks right outside that door. And every time you walk out of this place, he's trying to redefine who you are in God. He's an enemy of your soul. You hear me today? The devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. And he is an adversary to your spirituality. He is an adversary to your walk with God. And all he wants to do is redefine who you are. Amen. Job, Job lost it all, everything. His wife came to him, cursed God and die. And Job said, now wait a minute. He said, he said these words very clearly. He said, I'm going to tell you, lady. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, we know that it wasn't God that took Job's cattle and his flocks and his herds and his children. It was the devil. But there was a secret in Job's heart. And that is he would never give the devil credit for anything that ever happened in his life. He said, I'm going to tell you how I got everything I got. He said, the Lord gave it. He said, I'm going to tell you why I lost everything. The Lord took it away because I refused to give the devil credit. I understand that God's in control, that God ultimately has the power over all things. The devil doesn't have the power. He said, I'm going to tell you what my response is to the giving and the taking. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The devil came back. God went right back through that whole process again. And, and then the Lord repeated his definition. And then he added, he said, even though that you have moved me against Job with no cause, yet still he retains his integrity. He said, but God, there's one thing you don't know that I know. He said, skin for skin. He said, a man, a man will do anything for his life. You let me touch the man, and the man will curse you to your face. And the Lord said, all right. He said, you can touch the man, but you cannot take his life. You cannot kill him. I love that. I don't know what it does to you, but when I read that, it helps me understand that I don't care what the enemy brings against me. It does not matter how much of hell is unleashed upon my life. I understand that there's a line that the devil cannot cross. And that line is he can't take my life. He might take everything I've got, but he can't destroy me. He cannot kill me. I want to tell a saint of God, I don't care what you're going through today. If you're going through hell, just make up your mind. The devil's not going to.
going to destroy me. This cannot, this will not last. There is a line that the devil cannot cross. It's a line that the enemy cannot cross. He cannot go any further. God sets the parameters. If God permits the mitigating and external circumstances to be such in your life that the enemy comes against you, know one thing, there's a line that the devil cannot cross. Hallelujah. So, y'all forgive me here today. There's some folks that forevermore preach, and then there's some preachers that preach forever and then more. And I'm afraid that might be one of these mornings here. Huh? Come on, I'm just following the Holy Ghost. You're just going to go home and take a nap anyway. I'm not going to preach that long, but I'm just telling you. That, that I feel a burden of the Holy Ghost in this house. And I feel like God's trying to reach somebody. God's trying to help somebody understand you've got adversaries trying to redefine you. You've got an enemy against you trying to redefine you. I want to tell you what the secret is. The secret is this, that the word of the Lord said that Job retained his integrity with God, that he sinned not. He didn't charge God foolishly with his lips. And the word of the Lord tells us Amen. That he retained his integrity. When God builds a wall in your life, he has the right to tear that wall down. Job built, or, or God built a wall around Job's wealth. And when God got ready to tear it down, he had a right to tear it down. He built a wall of protection around Job's health. Amen. And whenever he did that, he had a right to tear that wall down. But there was a wall that God didn't build. And that was a wall of integrity that Job had built around his own life. And when you build a wall, God doesn't tear that wall down. Hallelujah. If you've got integrity, you might lose this wall. And you might lose this wall. But you won't lose the wall of integrity. You won't lose the wall of commitment. You won't lose the wall of consecration. You won't lose the wall of dedication to God Amen that's why Job later was able to say I couldn't find him right left front back he said but the Lord knows the way that I take and when I'm tried I'll come forth as pure gold why because the enemy tried to define redefine this great man Job and Job refused to let his adversary redefine him He wants to make a sinner out of a saint. God's making saints out of sinners. And he's trying to make sinners out of saints. Amen. That's why he's never, he never stops. That's why your adversary is relentless. Huh? I said your adversary is relentless. He's not going to stop. And I'm going to tell you right now, appeasement It's not the answer. You don't give up some things in order to appease the devil because whatever line you draw in your life, that is where the battle starts. That means if you give up that line and you draw the line over here, he's coming back to fight you because he's not interested in just compromise. He's interested in total destruction. Amen. Now you can call what I'm about to say 
political or whatever. It's not really political. It's a statement of reality of the times that we're living in. Amen. But we have a world that, that thinks that the way to handle uh, radical Islamism is to appease them. There's no appeasement. They made it very, very clear what their intent is, what their desire is, is to control the world. And all you got to do is read history, my friend. It goes all the way back. You want to know what the Crusades were about? Way back in the 1300s, 1400s, it was all over the same issues that we're dealing with today. Go back and read it for yourself. Don't take this preacher's word for it. Go read some history. Why? Because there's an enemy out there that has, that is bent on the destruction of anything that has any kind of true revelation of who God is, who the, what the name of God is. And the y'all got quiet on me all of a sudden. Amen. I'm not preaching against the people. I'm preaching against the ideology. I am preaching against. They need, the, they need the Holy Ghost just like you need the Holy Ghost. They need God just like we need God. I'm not going to not talk to a Muslim because of who they are. I'm going to try to save them. But I'm going to preach against the ideology just like I'm preaching against alcohol and cigarettes and, 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 and drugs and immorality because it's nothing more than an effort by the enemy to destroy humanity and their ability to understand the truth of God's word. Whoo, hallelujah. I don't know where all that came from, but it came anyway. Hallelujah. So we have an adversary. And third thing, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be quick here. It's, well, it's only 11.15. Lord have mercy. The Baptist hadn't even got started worshiping yet. <laughs> Lord, would you forgive me? I'm sorry. I'm just feeling too comfortable here today. <laughs> Amen. You'll still beat him to the cafeteria. So, <laughs> Amen. So anyway, that's what I think sometimes. I, I, grew, up, I grew up in a town where folk, that's what folks thought. They, they thought that way. <laughs> Church was about seeing who could get out first and get to the cafeteria first. Hallelujah. I wonder what would happen if the Holy Ghost wanted to just keep us here all afternoon. Well, and I, I referenced this last week. I'm going to, I just, this is something I feel so, it's so right again this morning. The Lord looked at Simon and said, Simon, Satan has desired to have you to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Notice the next words of Jesus. And when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. When you are converted, strengthen the brethren. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, Simon, you're about to fail. You're going to mess up big time, royally, boy. I mean, you are going to fall flat on your face. You're going to deny three times that you even know who I am. He said, but when you're converted, you know what he was telling Simon? He was saying, don't let your failure define your future. Huh? Don't let your failure define your future. 
I've come to help somebody in this house today and tell you that you don't have to live the rest of your life for God. Amen. Identified in the, in, the, within the parameters of your failure. That's not the will of God. He said to Simon, you're going to fail, but I got a word. You're going to get converted. And I got a job for you to do. And that job is to strengthen the brethren. You might fail. You may make a mistake. You may fall big time. But get back up again. Get back up again. Don't let your failure define who you are. Hallelujah. Come on, young lady. Come on, young man. Don't let your failure define who you are. You might fail trying to live for God, but don't let that failure define you. Come on back. Get in the presence of God. Get in the atmosphere of God's spirit. Amen. I want you to think about something. Simon Peter had a wake-up call. That wake-up call was the sound of a rooster crowing. Right? It was the sound of a rooster crowing. When that rooster crowed, he knew immediately that what Jesus said about him had come true. He had failed. And he went out and he wept bitterly. I want you to think about this. Because... He lived in a world that a lot of people in our time still live in. I've been in a lot of third world countries, and I have been awakened a many a morning by the sound of a rooster crowing. Amen. I just got a feeling, brother, that on the day of Pentecost, that before the Holy Ghost fell, that Simon heard a rooster crow. First thing he thought about was his denial. Because the enemy will never stop reminding you of your failure. Every day you live, he will remind you of your failure. He'll remind you of how you failed, what you did, you're wrong, what you said. He will remind you. I got a feeling that every single day from that day forward, every morning, whenever Simon was sleeping, he was awakened by the sound of a rooster. But I have a feeling in my heart that Simon got out of bed and said, you can crow rooster all you want. I'm not going to let the reminder of my past stop me from doing the will of God. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. And he preached in Jerusalem and he preached in Judea and he preached in Samaria and he preached in Cornelius' house. He preached to the known world of that time. Here was a man that would not allow his mistake to define him. Amen. There's a reason why that we need to get in the presence of God. There's a reason why that we need to get in the atmosphere of his spirit. Because you'll note in Isaiah's vision, he saw two things. He saw the throne, the Lord sitting upon a throne. But he also saw something else. He saw an altar right beside the throne. Amen. And he saw something else. He saw one of those seraphims take the tongs and pick up a live coal from off the altar and fly to where he was and touch his lips. And he said, now you're purged. 
now you're clean. Amen. Because of the live coal that had touched the man's lips. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Amen. Isaiah got a redefining that day. He was no longer a man of unclean lips. He was now a man of clean lips. He was a man that had been touched by the by the, the fire that was upon the altar. I'm preaching to somebody here today that you need to get your definition right here. You don't need to have your definition from your past. You don't need to have the devil define who you are. You don't need to let others define who you are. You need to get defined right here at this altar. This is where you need to let God touch your life. This is where you need to repent of your sins. This is where you need to get baptized in Jesus' name. This is where you need to get the Holy Ghost. This is where something needs to happen in your life that you may have come here a sinner, but you leave a saint. You may have come here unredeemed, but you leave redeemed. You may have come unclean, but you leave clean. I close. Why is the altar so important today? Now. Because when you go to the book of Revelation and you read its entirety, there's one thing you never find in the book of Revelation. You don't find an altar. The only thing you find is the throne. Because when you get on the other side, there won't be a need of an altar. But there's a need right now. In the presence of a holy throne, there's a redeeming altar. The throne demands change in your life. And the only way you can get that change is in the altar. Amen. Now, am I talking specifically of that piece of furniture or these steps? No. What I'm talking about is a place of prayer, a place of repentance, a place of getting your heart right with God, a place of understanding. I am tar- I'm telling you right now, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. There's people sitting on these pews here this morning that you have fought for years with things that the enemy has plagued your mind with. You have fought for years an identity as to who you think you are based on previous experience, based on mistakes or failures or what the devil tricked you into doing. Doing. He, has, he has relentlessly come against you day after day, week after week, month after month. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, you need to get redefined here this, this morning at this altar. You need to walk down here and say, devil, today, 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 when I walk out of here, I'm not carrying this stuff any longer. Today, oh, glory to God, I'm going to do my best to wring the neck of that rooster. I'm going to do my best uh, to silence uh, by the help of God, the voice Let us continue to harass me. Let's stand. I'm done. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Defined by the altar. Defined by the altar. Who's going to define you today? Are your friends going to define you? Are your family going to, uh, is your family going to define you? Amen. Your work, your job, is that going to define you? What's going to define you today? Who's going to put the definition on your life? What is it written? written when, when, they, when your name is found in the dictionary of life, what is the definition beside your name? And who has written that definition? Well, I'm going to tell you. I speak this in faith. Beside my name, it says redeemed. It says restored. It says made new. It says changed. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. That's what it says. That's what the de- definition is. And you don't have to leave this place here today having been defined by your mistakes or been defined by your culture or been defined by the devil. You can be defined by the Holy Ghost today. That's why we need to be washed by the waters of regeneration and renewed in the Holy Ghost. Because every time you're renewed in the Holy Ghost, there's a, there's a, re, there's a renewed definition of who you are in your life. Amen. The music will come, musicians, singers, whoever. There's such a touch of God in this house. Anybody feel the Holy Ghost right now? Does anybody feel the Holy Ghost right now? Anybody feel the touch of God? Come on, I feel His presence. I would that this church right now would begin to move in the spirit, that you would begin to pray. Because right now is an ideal, you might feel just fine. Your, your world may be good, but I've got a feeling in the Holy Ghost, there's some folks here today that your world has been wrecked. Your, your, your self-esteem, your self-worth, everything. You're struggling just in your walk with God simply because you're struggling with who you are. And I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, this is where it happens right here. It's when you pray. While we're worshiping this morning, while this church is praying, I would that somebody would step out today and say, you know what? I'm going to that altar this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to get a hold of the Lord this morning. Because I don't want to live my life with the wrong definition. I don't want to be defined by everything that's not right. I want to be defined by what is right. I want to be defined by the Word of God. I want to be defined by the Spirit of God. I want the Holy Ghost to help me. Amen. I think it would be a wonderful thing if all of us gathered around, if everybody began to pray, everybody began to seek God, and we reached out to Him. Let the enemy know, I'm going to retain my integrity. I'm going to hold on to who I am. I'm not going to let hell wear me out. I'm not going to let hell harass me to a point that I lose my walk with God. I lose my relationship. Come on, church. I'm telling you, I know what I feel in the Holy Ghost. I know what the Spirit of God has put in my heart here this morning. I know what's going on in the Spirit. I know what the Holy Ghost is trying to accomplish. Somebody pray. Somebody pray right now. Somebody say, God, just want you to know I love you. I don't care what hell tries to do. I'm going to walk with you, Jesus.